0: Since September, we've been looking at this small letter from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Titus. As we've seen, Titus worked under and was really close with Paul, who left him on the island of Crete in order to strengthen the churches that they had planted there. And Paul has been giving Titus instructions throughout this letter on choosing and appointing leadership for the church, godly leadership, teaching older men and women and how they should live uh, godly Christian lives, and, and then in turn having them teach and disciple younger men and women in the church. And he also urged Titus himself to set an example by doing what was good and to have integrity in his teaching. And Paul concluded the second chapter in his letter with a reminder of the gospel message of Jesus, that good news of his life, death, and resurrection. Now, the people of Crete, they didn't have a great reputation. We've mentioned that a few times in this series. Uh, but Paul says that even their own people have called them liars and brutes and gluttons and all kinds of good stuff. But that's where God really does some of his best work, right? Some people that don't have the best reputation. Because when people change, you know, when there's something different about them than before they started following Jesus when their lives look like those that Paul has been telling Titus to teach and to be an example of to the people of Crete, I mean, that's really when the good news of Jesus can spread. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, and the only thing I could really come up with was A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And um, I thought, well, we're close enough to Christmas. We can, we can uh, use it. So, I mean... We all know the story of A Christmas Carol, right? It's been made and remade into movies and countless TV shows or TV series and everything. Um, My favorite version is the original Muppets Christmas Carol. (laughs) I mean, it may be the one that actually goes closest with the, although I don't think Bob Cratchit was a frog, but, you know, that's all right. So you got Ebenezer Scrooge in the story. He was an incredibly cold and seemingly heartless man. No here's what Dickens wrote about him. He said, No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was a clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on, they would tug their owners into doorways and up courts. Great reputation. Scrooge is visited by three spirits who would take him through the past, present, and future of his life Uh, should he not change his ways, and that does prompt him to change them, and he's a different person at the end of the story, right? And he's full of love and joy for others, And, and obviously those are some spoilers, but the book's 179 years old, so I think I'm okay getting away with it. Um, but people took notice of that. I mean, some people kind of scoffed at him, but other people just really saw that he had changed, and that's how we should be as Christians. That's how we should be as followers of Jesus. That's what Paul is imparting to Uh, Titus. Wow. Titus. Titus to teach this new church. I just don't know. Um, But it's the whole point, to throw off the shackles of that reputation that they had from being from Crete. And and instead, making that new reputation as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's to extend to every aspect of their lives, which Paul delves more into in Titus chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today and uh, as we look, to strive to be good citizens. Now, there are two topics which Paul mentions in these first two verses in this passage, and it's broken down into three areas within each of these topics. The first of these deals with how Christians should relate to rulers and authorities. So Titus 3, chapter 1, deals with this. Titus 3, verse 1. I can't talk today. I don't know what's up. Um, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. So it's voting season again this week. Thank goodness we might get a month's break on the political ads and yard signs now that it's over. But um, I'm not super engrossed in the political scene, but I know that there are some who are interested in it. And and it was an important midterm election. But regardless of whether the people you voted for won or not, life is going to continue for a while. And we still need to try and be good citizens under the government that we have And that's what Paul's trying to get across to the people of Crete. Paul wants Titus to remind them first to be subject to the rulers and authorities. He's saying remind them, which means that he probably taught this when he was there initially planting the church. And it's a continual thing. It's like it never stops. You just keep reminding them. And the rulers and authorities that they were subject to would have been the civil government at the time. So it would have been the Roman Empire. Warren Wiersbe writes that Christians were often looked on with suspicion in the Roman Empire because their conduct was so different and they met in private meetings for worship. And it was important that they be good citizens without compromising the faith. Now again, they were to stand out from their neighbors who had that bad reputation. And one way to do this would have actually been to be subject to the rulers and authorities which were over Crete. Paul expands on these thoughts actually on being subject to the governing authorities in Romans chapter 13. Romans thirteen one through seven says this: Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. See, the real reason that we uh, subject ourselves as Christians to the rulers and governing authorities is because they've been established by God. Nebuchadnezzar learned this lesson in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, verse 32 um, being told to Nebuchadnezzar is this, he says, the, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. It's God who puts people in positions of authority. So how are how are we to be subject to them, to these rulers and authorities? Well, according to Paul, it's by being obedient. Being obedient. Again, we need to look back at the idea that the people of Crete had this bad reputation. And we saw this in Titus 1.12 where Paul writes, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. If the believers didn't obey the law, then people really wouldn't be drawn to Jesus. Or they'd be drawn for the wrong reasons. As one commentator writes, Christian witness, personal integrity, and corporate or church reputation would suffer if believers lived scofflaw lives, which is just lives as a contemptuous law violator. And I think the same is true today. We should have obedience to the rulers and authorities and the laws that they pass. But that begs the question, are there times when it's okay to be disobedient? And to that I would say the answer is yes. In circumstances when it is necessary to go against the earthly authorities to uphold the divine will, as one person wrote. As examples of this, think about the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1. They were ordered by Pharaoh to kill all of the, the male-born Hebrew children, and they didn't. They, they fought back against it. Or when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar and were thrown into the furnace. They said in Daniel 3.16 that they refused to bow down before the idol and that the God that they served would rescue them in the furnace, which he did, but they even said even if he didn't, they would still not serve any other God. Final example would be Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. where They're in prison for preaching about Jesus. They were told not to preach about him anymore. They are like, okay, you can go ahead. We beat you up. You can go. Don't preach about Jesus anymore. And they're like, so they immediately went out and started preaching about Jesus again. <laughs> they were brought back in. They're like, we told you not to preach about him anymore. And then in Acts 4.20, here's what they said. They said, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Even throughout history, we've seen areas where civil disobedience is appropriate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer opposed the Nazis. Cory ten Boom also opposed the Nazis by hiding uh, Jews. Christians defied racial segregation during the Civil Rights Movement. Many Christian martyrs have been killed because they wouldn't renounce their faith. So, yes, it is important to be obedient to the government the majority of the time. But there are times when civil disobedience is appropriate. Now the third area that Paul discusses regarding rulers and authorities is that the people should be ready to do whatever is good. More literally, they should be prepared to do every good work. Paul almost exclusively is the only one who uses this phrase in the New Testament. He uses it eight times in his letter, being prepared to do good work. The only other mention outside of Paul's letters is in, the, uh, is in Hebrews chapter 13. If you remember, there's actually a passage earlier in Paul's letter to Titus in which Paul instructs Titus on how to deal with those people who would not be prepared, who, who aren't doing good works. He says in Titus 1, 13 through 16, he says, "...the saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth." To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. You know I read this, and it says to me that the default inclination for Christians should be that of doing good works or always being prepared to do good works. And again, this should focus on what God calls good, not what we call good. We're sinful human beings. We don't get it right. But God does. So what's that look like? Well, let's look at some of the other passages that, where Paul uses this phrase. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So God is blessing us abundantly, and so out of that abundance, we are able to bless others, freely giving gifts to the poor, as an example. 1 Timothy 5.10 speaks of the good works of widows in need who the church should be caring for. It says, um, and and is well known, so we're talking about a, a widow here, but she's well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Other passages that Paul writes, they focus on, our, on the source of our ability to do these good works, which is, of course, God. The benediction in Hebrews 13.20 says this, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we are equipped by God for every good work. Not simply to the rulers and authorities, but expand that even to everybody. I want to finish this section just by looking at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Okay, so Paul now moves on to a broader context as we look at verse 2 of Titus chapter 3. It says again, remind them, remind them to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. So this group of characteristics that Paul or that Titus is to remind the people of, look to their interactions with others in the broader context of society. The first is that they should slander no one. Slander is defined as making a false spoken statement that would damage somebody's reputation. The word that is translated slander is also used to mean blaspheme. The root word is actually where we get the word blaspheme from. That might help you understand, like, blasphemy would be slander against God. And how much do we need to be reminded of this, that we should not slander anybody? It can be pretty easy to fall into that trap of talking bad about someone else who we disagree with or maybe we don't like at all. So we might talk about them when we don't know all the facts or we rush to judgment or we say some things that might not be true. What we need to do is we need to seek God's blessing to see people the way that he sees people, as images, or as people created in his image. I think when we we start to view people in that light, it is so much easier to refrain from speaking poorly or falsely about them, even when it might be difficult. You know, I read of a story uh, about an election in Florida during the McCarthy era, so this would have been 1950. And uh, there was a Floridian named Claude Pepper, is one of the Senate's most outspoken liberals, and he was on the conservatives' hit list along with many other senators. Uh, there, his it was in the primary, so his uh, Democratic uh, um, opponent in the primary was named George Smathers, and Smathers lashed out with what was like the typical right wing language at the time, basically calling people communists. But his way to put that was like he called his opponent the Red Pepper. And, and then he launched a campaign to expose Pepper's secret vices. And, I, you know, they put vices in quotes because they're not really. Here's how he said it. He said, uh, it says, Smatters disclosed that Pepper was a known extrovert. His sister was a thespian. And his brother a practicing homo sapien. Also, when Pepper went to college, he actually matriculated, which I had to look up. Basically just means you went to college worst of all, he practiced celibacy before marriage. Now, whether or not he actually said this was is debated, but it would be kind of awesome if he if he had because that's that's not a bad way you know to not slander your opponent yeah, i mean you're just saying true things about them you're just using you know words that people don't normally use um, and if politicians would just do that now, man, yeah one can dream um Even the politicians have a hard time slandering. Even if they have a hard time slandering nobody, we shouldn't. We don't have to. So that's our, don't slander anybody. Now next, Paul says to remind them to be peaceable and considerate. To be peaceable means to be disposed to peace or to have a peaceable nature. Another way to define it would be not quarrelsome. Sometimes I feel like I can get quarrelsome at times, especially when I'm right. I I mean, when I think I'm right. I thought that was funnier. Thank you. First service was like half the people and they cracked up. Anyway, not saying anything bad about second service because that would be quarrelsome and I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that either. This is not how we're called to be though. We're not called to be quarrelsome. We're called to be peaceable. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy twenty three, two twenty three. He says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. I don't think I don't think that this means that we just like let people run us over or anything. But our goal should be that we strive for peace in all situations. I mean, Jesus spoke about the peacemakers in his sermon on the mount. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In Romans twelve eighteen, Paul speaks to living at peace with people. He says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't control them, but you sure can you. We strive to live at peace with everyone because, like we said, they're created in God's image and life is better when we're at peace. And we're able to do this only through the power of the Spirit living in us. And Christ, even himself, is described in Isaiah 9-6 as the Prince of Peace. Now, to be considerate means that you're yielding, you're kind, you're courteous. It's putting other people's feelings and Uh, Other people ahead of you, ahead of your own. It's really an aspect of self-control, which we've seen Paul mention throughout this letter. Be considerate of other people, put them ahead of you. And uh, we've got the greatest model for this ever in Jesus. Jesus consistently thought of others' needs and took care of them. He healed the blind, sick, and lame. When thousands of people came to hear him speak, he miraculously fed them, and he died for you and for me, for our sin. And while we're not going to make it quite to that standard probably, but we can do good, we can treat others well, we can be considerate. The word used here is related to the last area where Paul is instructing Titus in this passage. Be considerate could also be translated as be gentle which is the same way the NIV translates the final word here. Now, I'm using the most recent version of the NIV translation, which translates this last little part as be gentle toward everyone. If you're using the 1984 version of the NIV, it says to show true humility toward all men. The New American Standard says showing every consideration for all men. And the ESV says show perfect courtesy toward all people. And so I look at all those different translations, all those ways that they translate this, and it just makes me want to do a word study, which I know I am alone at. (laughs) And that's okay. Um, So what I did was I I looked at one of the best Greek to English lexicons and saw that it can actually be translated as all of these. And so I wouldn't say that any of them are wrong. I would just say that they're saying the same thing a different way. The lexicon, though, it had a, a specific way that it would define it in a little longer way but it says it's the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance so to help understand it let's look at the most famous one of the most famous passages where this word is used in relation to jesus matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The same word that we've been looking at, that's the word translated gentle in this passage. This is where we can find the meaning for what Paul's talking about. We look to Jesus, and this is the only passage in the New Testament where he speaks directly about his heart, you have know, Basically, the core of who he is. He is gentle and humble in heart. The word could also be translated as meek. Jesus uses it in the Beatitudes. Again, Matthew 5 5 Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So, if we want to be like Jesus, we must be gentle and humble in heart. We need to be gentle toward everyone. And that's pretty countercultural. Gentleness doesn't seem to be what's winning the day right now. A lot of times it seems as if people get so easily triggered about something that they disagree with or they don't like and they just lash out. Sometimes gentleness, being humble, being meek, you know, that gets thrown out the door at that point. But we're not supposed to be that way. One commentator writes, In our relationships with others we are to be gentle, humble, considerate, courteous, not arrogant, abrasive, domineering, and proud it 's not simply in the church that we 're supposed to live this out either, but regardless of who we 're with. Bob Russell said that means that you treat the waitress with the same kindness that you do the owner of the restaurant, or you 're as polite to the cab driver as you are to the airline pilot you 're as kind to the janitor as to the principal, to the youth pastor as to the senior pastor. When gentleness, kindness, meekness, when that's our default, I think that's something that can do immense good in this world. We are to be subject. We're to be obedient to rulers and authorities, always ready to do good, not talking bad about anyone, being peaceable, considerate, and gentle. And we have the power to do that, not on our own, but through the Spirit working in our hearts to change us. What would happen if we quit arguing and started talking to people instead? What would happen when we consistently would put others before ourselves? You know what? When we do these things, sometimes we might get run over by people. We don't always want that to happen, but it's going to happen. But if it does, then we just get up, we dust ourselves off, and we keep going. Because we know who Jesus is. We know what he's done for us in our lives. We know who is actually Lord and Savior. It is not the government. It is not anybody else in this world. It is only Jesus Christ. And that, I think, is what can make Christianity so attractive to the rest of the world. When we show them something different. When we don't act like the rest of the world. Which we're not supposed to do anyway. We want to introduce others to Jesus because we want them to have what we have, right? We don't want anybody to perish like Peter talks about, but we want all to come to faith in him. If you're here today and you haven't started following Jesus yet, then we want to invite you to do that because it'll change your life. And we'd love to talk with you about it. If you have any questions or need to talk or need prayer. You can just find me, Rick, you know, anybody that was on the up on stage, they'll, they'll pray with you. I'm sure Marcus would. <laughs> I think you would. Anyway, um, that's what it's all about. You know, anytime we talk about the government, anytime we talk about, you know, being subject to rulers, anytime we talk about being subject to anything, I know that it kind of grates at us at times, but um, there's a reason that we do it. There's a reason that we talk about these things. It's because that's what the passage says. That's what the Bible says. That's what God has said in his word. And, you know, what we think is best is not always what's best. But like I said, there are times, too, where, you know, a little disobedience is not a bad thing because, we still stand up for what's right. We still are prepared to do good works. And that's always what God calls good, not what we do. And so with that, um, I'm just going to pray for us as uh, we get ready to close out and also pray for this time where uh, we take communion and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, our, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to be able to do the things that we've been talking about. None of these things are easy. And, and the Christian life really, you know, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. And, but Lord, we know that you are able to do all things. We are able to do all things through your power. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient to be ready to do what is good. Help us to control our tongues and not slander anybody, not talk bad about people. Help us to be considerate, to not be quarrelsome. Help us to be compassionate for others. Help us to be ready um, to do good things, do good works. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We take this time in our service every week to remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross, as we take the the bread representing his body that was broken, the blood or the, the, the juice representing the blood that was spilled. And we just we take these to remember the sacrifice, but we also celebrate that that he came back, conquered death. We know that we can do all these things in your power, Lord, in your name. Because it is powerful. You are powerful. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.